welcome to the second episode of The Joy of Aquatics. My name's Joy. I'm going to be hosting this episode. Um, Last week, we spoke about trauma. We spoke to Dr. Daryl Higgins and we spoke to Mel Nelson, who runs a swim school in Bustleton, Western Australia. Um, We were trying to find a definition of trauma and one that's specific enough that fits the industry that we know our boundaries. Last week, we did discuss the divide in the industry where we've got some teachers who are forcefully submerging children, allowing them to be submerged on their back uh, where the kids are taking on water. And we also have the other end of the spectrum where there are teachers out there that say, no, you can't allow a child to cry in the lesson. So what are the acceptable boundaries? And I think I think my dogs outside might have a bit to say about that. (laughs) But I also think that um, the industry with um, ASCDA and Swim Australia and OzSwim having released their stance on forceful teaching techniques um, are very um, specific. But how do we define our boundaries with what's acceptable and what's not acceptable? We know children are going to cry, um, but we also know that we need to address that crying and we need to understand why they are crying. So how long do we let them cry for? How long, um, what can we persist with and what can't we persist with? The first question that I really want to ask the people that we've interviewed today is what is it that we do that causes trauma? Let's hear what Alina has to say. I'm speaking right now with Alina Graham. Um, Alina, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I've been in the swimming industry for over 27 years. Um, So I've worked with um, obviously beginner swimmers all the way through to elite as well as teaching uh, babies to adults. I uh, currently am um, involved with OzSwim from presenting courses and helping write course materials and run my own swim school in an outback uh, pool called Quilby. So, yeah, that's pretty much the back of it. Fantastic. All right. So, Alina, what is it that swimming teachers do that causes trauma to kids? Um, I guess the word is probably respect. It's not respecting sometimes where kids are at and that something that teachers deem to be easy to be done is actually not easy for kids. So to me, it's not respecting the, the, the time they're in at that present moment. Do you think there are any forceful teaching techniques that teachers do perform that causes trauma? Are there specific skills? Um, obviously, you know, submerge and breath control um, is probably the biggest thing that causes the most amount of trauma because obviously there's an innate fear already in um, children that they know instinctively that they cannot breathe under the water, so there's a, there's a fear there as well. They also don't understand that they can actually be in control of their breathing, and that's a skill they need to be taught. So if we're not teaching them at their progression, then that's where we can start uh, instilling a lot more of fear in there, which can obviously mean if it's been pushed and pushed, then it, it turns into trauma. Yeah. So I'd say birth control is probably the biggest thing with that one. Yeah, so we're really pushing them past their emotional boundaries. Yeah, and look, it, it, I mean, the, the, the classic example is the breath control, but it doesn't have to be just breath, breath control. It could be simply just um, getting a child to get in the pool as well if we're not respecting their fear around the pool and taking the time to even stick a toe in. So it can actually happen at all levels. We can build it 
doesn't matter we've got squad kids and we're pushing them beyond, as you said, their emotional barrier and they're not ready for it, then you can actually start to instill fear. And obviously if you don't acknowledge that, then you keep pushing it, then you, you send them into trauma. So it can happen with any age. Yeah. All right. How do you know a child is experiencing trauma or in the middle of a traumatic experience? Their eyes that say a lot, there's just that level of fear, the pupils are um, dilated, their facial expressions as well, but also too when they're showing extreme behaviour issues like kicking, screaming, punching, running away, um, you know, just flat refusals. Some kids are the actual opposite where they can actually sit and do nothing and they become like um, complete, there's complete helplessness. So um, often we can pick up the kids that are more, uh, I guess, external with their behaviour, but it's the ones that also then really go intrinsic with the behaviour too that you've got to watch because they're the ones that, you know, they won't help themselves when they're in a situation. Okay. All right. Well, what do you do if you see um, a child going through this in your class? How can we help our kids? There's a couple of steps process to that one. Um, one, stop what you're doing straight away. So, you know, you can't push them. You, you're getting to, you, you've triggered them. So the thing is to stop and, and actually have a conversation with them and go, okay, um, are you scared about this? And if they say yes, and or if they shake their head or they give you some acknowledgement that they are, I often say, you know what, it's actually okay to be. Um, they've got to know, because they don't know that it's okay to be scared of something. It is actually okay. It's a natural response. Um, what I then do from a, a sort of a emotional side of things is to say, you know what, would it be okay if we start to learn how to do this um, and make it fun and all those sorts of things? So what you're doing is you're acknowledging their emotion, but you're also starting to um, build some curiosity about, you know, you know what, what, what happens if we could actually learn that this could be fun? So it doesn't have to be today, it could be next week, but, you know, what would it be like if this could actually be fun? So what we're doing by those sorts of phrases is we're actually getting them to start thinking about, you know, what the, the potential that what they're doing, even though it's scary at the moment, can actually be fun later on. So I guess the key things I say as a teacher is acknowledge the uh, emotion, try and manage the behaviour, and then teach for the fear. So you've got to teach them that the water's okay, teach them that they're in control. So they're the sort of the three things I look at is acknowledge, manage and teach. I like that. That sounds that sounds really good. Yeah, I'll give you an example of the acknowledge. So I'll give you sort of an uh, yeah, example of explain it all. If I said to you, Joy, okay, I'm going to come up to you and I'm going to push you in the back, right? Yeah. Um, you've got two options here. I can either come up and do it without you knowing or I can just tell you that I'm going to do it so you can prepare yourself. So either way, you're not going to like it because you're getting pushed in the back. So if I said to you, which which option would you choose? I want to know. Okay. So, Joy, it's okay that I know you're not going to like what we're going to do, but I need to do this. So would it be okay if we give this a go and we do it this way? So what you're doing is you're acknowledging that you don't like it. You're saying, okay, well, I'm going to manage your behaviour by saying, you know, um, this is how we're going to do it, you know, rather than this is how you need to respond, you know, brace yourself, do this. So we're actually giving them options on how to behave um, and then we're managing the fear by we're telling you that, that this is what we're going to do. 
what's going on for you? What are you not liking at the moment? Um, and it simply could be they're not liking the fact they're being told what to do. The kids have learnt crying is a behavioural response to certain stimuli. So the stimuli doesn't have to be bad. It just is a response that they've learnt. So if they, um, you know, want to get their own way, they've learnt to cry to get out of it because that's that's what's worked for them. So they will bring that to the class and they'll actually try that on the with you as a teacher. So what you need to do is step back and go, okay, well, crying's not the behaviour I want. So I need to have a conversation with this child and find out um, what's going on for them. And therefore, you know, I need to teach around that. So again, it's that same process again. Find out what's going on, acknowledge what's going on and go, you know what, it's okay if you don't want to do this, um, but crying's not going to help the situation. How could we do it differently? And then teach Mm -hmm. around whatever that subject matter is um, for creating their emotions. Okay, so same process. Whether you're seeing that traumatic eyes are bulging out of their head, I'm exceptionally full of fear or I'm crying just because I don't want to be here today or I'm having a rough day, it's the same process. Absolutely. It's a human being response. Um, If we're upset, the worst thing you can say to someone is don't cry. It's not actually allowing them to have that emotion. My teaching method is to allow them to have that emotion because it's completely acceptable. Yes. Oh, the, if there are people that kids shouldn't cry in a class, it means they're not really totally understanding the process of, of educating and teaching children. Because yeah. you're going to have kids in classrooms that cry. You have kids at home that cry. So crying is just an expression of an emotion that is not right at that present time. I think it may be just a level of lack of education of teachers on how to actually deal with with kids that are crying and managing that and realising that, you know, what's actually okay that they do cry because it shows something's not working and it's actually a perfect teaching opportunity to create a breakthrough for um, that child. Mm, okay. Uh, how do you think we actually started getting onto all of this discussion about trauma because for me a few years ago we were talking about crying crying kids and how we as teachers and parents were sort of struggling to deal with it but it seems like over the last couple of years the conversations have escalated into trauma and now apparently you know we're doing traumatic things to children in the water and it's like well how how did we get here Oh, that's a very controversial question, isn't it? I guess you could come from it from a couple of different angles. Um, From the pressure of society wanting their kids to learn a lot quicker than they're actually capable of. Um, So there's pressure on swim schools and teachers to get them through um, stages a lot quicker than what they can, forgetting that fact that there's a whole emotional element to teaching and swimming as well. Um, I think it's the old school versus new school philosophy as well. Like, you know, this is the way it was taught. And, you know, when I was younger, I was thrown over a boat and literally was sink or swim. Um, I think swimming is a, a, biggest, a big thing now in our world is that people are very quick to... Um, going, well, my child is traumatised, so I'm going to blame someone. Um, And I think, you know, money is making income sort of thing as well. So there's, there's, you know, money is saying I need to get kids through, I need to push them through because I need to make money to run a business. So 
I think there's a lot of elements there that can affect that. And if I'm to be brutally honest, it's someone, it's people also wanting to, in some ways, um, you know, create a market for themselves in specialising in trauma as well. So if they get enough people listening to it, then enough people will actually it'll become a, a point of interest at that period of time. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. Um, do you have any thoughts on Osfam um, and some Australia's stance on forceful teaching techniques? Um, they've recently released um, a statement about their stance on that um, and how they may stop swim schools um, that are teaching survival aquatic programs from registering with them or being affiliated with them. And there has been discussion about swimming teachers also not being able to be licensed under them as well. Um, I agree with it, but at the same time, how are they going to audit that? Because... It's open for parents to go, my child was traumatised in one lesson, can you strike that teacher out? Um, there needs to be a very thorough investigating process because, um, you know, as bodies, they, I reckon they need to go in and sit and actually watch the program to really determine whether it's, it's developing trauma or not. So. Yeah. Um, it's like the videos that we see that come out and we go, oh, that's awful, that's blah, blah, blah. And you've got this kid that, you know, is doing very well for their age in the water. But my question always is, well, what's the process they did to get them there? I can't question what the child can do and whether they're in trauma or not because I don't know how that child got to that skill level. So... Um, I think that's the biggest thing is that until you know the full history and what the teaching methods are, you can't strike someone out until you actually really sit in there and investigate their teaching practices and yeah. see it not over one teaching lesson but over a period of time to really see how a child gets to that point. Because I know I've had kids before and they've given themselves a fright um, because the, the step wasn't where they thought it was. So... You know, define that. Is that a traumatic uh, experience for a child? It probably is. But you know what? That's being in water. They're going to have accidents. I know I've, still as an adult, sometimes you slip in and go, oh, yep, that was not very um, safe at that time. <laughs> so, sorry, you don't need that in the podcast. Buggy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, it's, I think it's good to say that they won't stand for it, but I think there needs to be a lot of investigation um, on teaching methods of the swim school and individuals to prove that they are causing trauma in, in children. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. Well, Alina, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Alina can be found at her website, allaboutaquatics.com.au, and I think she made some really fantastic points about acknowledge the emotion, manage the behavior, and teach the fear. I think they are three really, really good points um, that swimming teachers do need to adopt as we go through. So we're starting to see a bit of a pattern in that crying does happen. Children are going to cry, and it is a form of communication. I think there's a general consensus that we need to figure out what that cry 
is about. Um, so we can we can recognise and, and identify why the children are upset. How we deal with children once they're upset is very personal and everyone's going to do that very differently. And more than likely, we're going to probably do that the same way we do that with our own kids. And if we don't have kids, sometimes we might just be fumbling around in the dark until we figure out the best way to behave and manage children. I truly believe that if we continue advocating for our children at every point of our class with every decision we make, we're going to be standing in good stead to make sure we're not using a forceful technique, a forceful teaching technique. So here's, here's my understanding of trauma so far. Trauma associated with swimming lessons can occur from using forceful teaching techniques. So forceful teaching techniques may not cause trauma on all students though. Um, as we don't know which students trauma is going to happen to, we need to remove forceful teaching techniques from all of our practices. Crying can be a sign of trauma, but it's not necessarily. And that's why it's important we discover why a child is crying. So as teachers of swimming and water safety, we should be encouraging students through their aquatic education in a positive manner. So just recently, I caught up with Shannon Townsend, so just before the ASTA conference, and I uh, had a great conversation with Shannon. So I'd love for you guys to hear what Shannon said, um, and let's hear that now. Can you please tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do in Toowoomba? I am now the general manager of sports operations at the Glennie School, and I've been working here for almost 10 years. And I started teaching swimming when I was 13 years old. Wow. So lots of experience in this amazing industry. Shannon, can you tell me um, what is it that swimming teachers do that causes trauma? Okay. Well, I think that it is not being aware of the, the children's feelings and their reactions to what's happening and also the teacher themselves and how they're sort of trying to um, get their message across, which um, sometimes can cause trauma. Yeah. So what's, what's a forceful teaching technique then? Can you give me an example? Pushing someone under the water, I suppose. But it could be things like forcing them onto their back and holding them really tightly, um, just making them do things that they're not comfortable to do. How do you know if a child is experiencing trauma? Their body language and the sounds that they're making in their facial expressions, really. I mean, it's a tense body, it's a scared face, it's a screaming with fear. Sometimes I guess they've gone past that point and they're just tensing up but not willing to say anything because they know they're going to be made to do something anyway. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Sue Mayo was talking about this at the recent Queensland Awesome Conference and she was talking about how children go through that um, really fearful, traumatic experience and then it, it sort of becomes submissive and they, they just go into this submissive cry and a lot of teachers then turn around and say, well, no, um, they're calming down now. When I, in actual fact, they're not. We have, um, we have trained them that this is what's going to happen so there's no point crying anyway. Yeah, exactly. And um, that's really worrying, isn't it? And I guess, I mean, it happens in the pool, but it also happens in life and it, it 
it's our responsibility as responsible swimming teachers and even parents to actually not let those things happen so that they go into that submissive state of, yeah, we, of fear, but knowing that there's nothing that they can actually do because they don't have the power to stop whatever it is that's happening. Yeah, it is very scary. We should be advocating for our students, definitely. Absolutely. If a child is crying, what does that mean? I think it means that they're trying to give some type of message. And, yes, sometimes I do believe that crying can sometimes just be sort of a um, separation, you know. But I don't know that separation is necessarily completely traumatic. What do you think about that? Um, I think separation can be traumatic, but I yes. think if separation is done correctly, then I don't think um, there's any reason it should be traumatic. Crying is not necessarily completely traumatic. It could be a tantrum. It could actually be related to some kind of sickness or something, which obviously could be traumatic if we continue to push them into things. But off, you know, if you get to actually know the child or the parent knows the child and they know that they're actually crying because they're chuck in a tanty and you can um, turn that around not very in a short period of time, then I think that that is not particularly traumatic in most cases. Well, what do you do if a child yes. is crying in your class? I try distraction techniques. I am the master of distraction, it seems. As a young person, I started teaching as a 13-year-old. I was always given the crying children and I could seem to turn that around very quickly. So, I mean, for me, it's often, what's your favourite song? We're going to sing a song. We're going to do some actions. We're going to jump around like kangaroos. We're just going to talk about something completely different and often that will work. So that's that sort of how I deal with it. If it I mean, if they're going to a point where they're just, completely losing the plot and getting all red and naughty, then um, obviously it's gone too far. But a, a bit of a cry and a bit of fun that can be turned around quite quickly into, you know, oh, actually she's not so bad or this whole swimming gig's not so bad is um, destruction is my key to success. Do you guys have a crying policy at your swim school? Um, not, not a written crying policy, no. Do you? Did no. You? No, no, I didn't. I really think in most cases you can tell the difference between something that's traumatic and something that is, is more tantrum-like, actually. Yeah. And I find in most cases here, because I'm sort of, I'm a very much a water lover and I do a lot of relaxation stuff with water, that it should be more like that to begin with. So we, we don't ever force. We're trying to teach the parents to, um, you know, have gentle hands so that the kids can't feel their fear if they're feeling fearful and um, to do a little lift and then a, a submersion once they're ready to actually submerge once they've done the conditioning words and showing the signs and all that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, I think if someone's completely losing the plot then, you know, we do try and get them out. 
this conversation, this crying conversation, has escalated now into trauma. Mm-hmm. Do you do you have any thoughts as to how we maybe got here? Oh, that's a big question. Uh, I guess. I mean, there's got to be something behind the crying, doesn't there? And if it's not just a tantrum, then maybe there is some type of trauma. And and I think possibly it has to do with certain techniques that could be seen, and I would agree, that are traumatic in teaching children to swim. Okay, so... Are you talking about the um, uh, aquatic survival skills programming? Yeah, I think that's how we we got to this um, discussion of trauma, yes. Okay. Uh, Now, look, I've only seen videos of it and I found the videos traumatic. Um, The first time I watched it, I could watch it for 30 seconds only and then I was at a presentation with Julie Zancanaro a couple of years ago and I think we watched, I don't know, maybe five or more minutes and and I really didn't feel good about it. Yeah, and I'm actually speaking to Julie tomorrow. Excellent. Yeah. So you haven't you haven't seen any you haven't actually been to a facility that actually does any aquatic survival skills. No, I haven't. Um, yeah. I did I did talk to I once ran a, a baby and toddler course, and mm-hmm. there was a lady there that had actually taught with one of those swim schools. Yeah, and she and you know like my way of going about it is far more gentle. Yeah. And encouraging and, you know, let's extend this thing just a tiny bit and then a tiny bit more. Um, so she was she was interesting in that she said she sort of had to do it because that's where she was working. She yeah. had been working somewhere else that was uh, quite similar to my sort of way of thinking and felt that some of the techniques that they actually used were quite helpful in um, gaining uh, extension in the swimming skills, um, but also some of them were not necessarily appropriate. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. But, but I haven't actually seen it in person, and actually from that video, I, I honestly don't think I could stand back and physically watch that in person because I would probably have to stop it. (laughs) Yeah. I know um, someone who has been to watch what was meant to be an aquatic survival skills swim school that before you walked in the door, you would assume that it would have been that traumatic style of teaching that we saw in that video. But what she said also was that she, she didn't experience that so much. Um, they weren't forcing the kids to go under the water. And she said that she reckons the difference was that they came every day for a certain period of time and therefore those skills, as you do in an intensive swimming block, came along more quickly. It was a more rapid improvement. Whereas, yeah. you know, we tend to, or I know that we do it the swim school here, the children come once, every week for the term 
and then they come back and it's once every week. So if we were to do a similar thing in a similar time frame, then maybe it would be the same. And it's a one-on-one thing. So we're yeah. doing um, classes of, you know, six adults and care, um, sorry, carers and children, whereas they were doing 20 minutes for 12 lessons in a row over that, you know, 12 or 15 days, let's say, to get to the same point that it might take us a term or two terms or three terms to get to. So yeah. I think that we do need to be careful because it, it, it could be fear-mongering because we haven't actually experienced it ourselves. But, and it's very hard to put everyone in the same box without having gone to see every single swim school that's doing this thing because, you know, maybe they're not actually doing it. Who knows until you've seen it. Yeah, that's right. I agree. I agree. Mm. Shannon, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Uh, I hope everything goes well with the new sports centre. Thank you. It's, it's going quite well at the moment and um, I'm off to the ASP convention on the weekend to do some presentations. I just want to be clear that when Shannon and I were talking about the Aquatic Survival Skills programming, we were actually talking about the Infant Aquatic Survival Floating Programs. Sometimes these programs are known as the Infant Self-Rescue Programs. So I've just had a really big lesson um, when I'm podcasting that I need to make sure that I do have the correct names of things and that all my words are really, really important. So I just want to make sure that that's not misconstrued. Most swim schools are doing um, aquatic survival skills, um, but there has been a lot of controversy around the infant aquatic survival programs. Now, if you wanted to find Shannon, you can find her at aquatic.glenny.qld.edu.au. So I think both Alina and Shannon are actually quite similar in their approach to crying and with coming from the things that they've said, I feel like they've said very, very similar things. Um, what I'm really happy with today is that we've got some really good examples of what it looks like when kids are really fearful and they could be approaching that I'm, I'm in the process of being traumatised point. So... It's not just looking at those external things, but don't forget to keep an eye on those really quiet kids as well that are internalising everything. Um, Alina had a great idea with acknowledge the emotion, manage the behaviour and then teach to the fear. I think that is brilliant. And also remember, be a hero and wear your hat. Um, are you helping the student? Are you advocating for your student and are you causing trauma? Those three questions to yourself when you come across a child that is um, displaying those uh, fearful physical traits, um, that it's, it's a good thing to apply. Um, question yourself. We're constantly assessing ourselves as teachers and that is just one way you can do that with three simple questions. All right. Next week, we are going to be talking to Julie Zancanaro and also Sue Mayo. So these are, the, these are my big guns that I'm pulling out. Um, let's see what, what else we can find out next week. I hope you've really enjoyed the second episode of The Joy of Aquatics. Mm-hmm.